And welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. I was waiting for you to do something. I didn't. Okay, I appreciate I, that. I got to keep you on your toes. I can't be too predictable. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's so many things. I, I like to say, randomly confuse it's you. It's Christmas, so. not predictably confuse <laughs> okay, you. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just you just want to get this over with because you got a hot dog or a Costco hot dog in your future. I do. Like I have a few so. left over from the off-road event. Okay, got a hot yeah. date with a hot dog. That's hot right. Dog. <laughs> hot date with a hot dog. <laughs> oh, this show just got different. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're gonna get to know that voice here in a minute. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. So. We'll choose our guest in a second. But our Carter Automotive Group tip of the week just happened. Just happened. <laughs> I had a different one. People, I did. People always ask us, how do you come up with these? I'm like, well, this one just happened. Yeah, this one yeah. just happened. This is how a Costco hot dog will be in my future. <laughs> um, so what happened is I took my Raptor in to get uh, new tires on it, mm-hmm. which they're not too bad, but it's about time. So figured why not since, you know, snowstorms and rain and all that crap, right? Well, I go to Costco because I had a big coupon. That was the only reason I went to Costco. Coupon? Yeah, and it's the Raptor, so I'm not as worried about the wheels. Sure. Those things have seen plenty of mud, ruts, dirt, you name it. So, you know, a poor ma- tire mounting job won't hurt anything. Sure. Well, except they can't mount them. Why is that? That's because I have bead locks. And those aren't legal. You can't have those. And right. And <laughs> so the Raptor has, and several other vehicles on the road are sold with bead locks, but... From the factory. From the factory, factory yeah. This wheels, isn't yeah. an optional wheel. This is the, but the factory beadlock is a beauty ring. It's not an actual beadlock. This is a DOT-approved wheel and tire. Beadlocks are not DOT-approved. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, to mount the tire, you pull off the outside beauty ring, and then it leaves you with a pretty wide gap between the outside of the wheel and where the tire sits on the rim. Okay. And... I heard that's great to have gaps in tires. Those hold air really well. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, it sits like inside that beauty ring a little farther. And basically, it makes them unable to mount the tire because the, the typical machine clamps onto the outside of the rim and it kind of drags the tire around it and pops it on there. So now they're like, hey, do you still want your tires? Because we can't help you. I'm like, well, that would have been good to know, you know, since, you know, a Ford Raptor is such an uncommon vehicle around here, <laughs> as in like five people we know have one in the same color, let alone like. <laughs> yeah. And so that was annoying. Um so anyway, if you have a vehicle with factory beadlocks, TRX, um, I think the new the new Ranger Raptor, several other trucks in the market are now coming with an optional factory beadlock that will never get used like mine. So if you have that, good to know. Check with the place. There's a reason you, it's called a beauty ring. There's a reason yeah, it's called so, a beauty yeah. ring. You have to buy the extra ring and yeah. then put it on there and then use the beadlocks. Then you have to find somebody to mount the beadlocks because a lot of shops won't mount tires with yeah. beadlocks because beadlocks aren't DOT approved. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so now I go back to Costco. Probably going to keep the tires and have one of our Avance partners mount them up for me. But uh, tip of the week, ask ahead of time. Don't expect them to know. Yeah, I mean, uh, can't you just, uh, you know, just put them in the back of your truck and make it look like you're a Baja truck? Come on. Like totally. All the, all the yeah. other cool people? Yeah. <laughs> so, like yeah. I said, my, my, <laughs> my rings that'll never get used. Yeah, sure. Beauty rings. I mean, Got it. I'm just not. I mean, I'm, maybe if I spent a lot of time down in the desert, but that which would be cool. I would love to have an excuse to use those beauty rings, mm-hmm. but... Anyway. Yeah. I've seen you use them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was in Baja mode. <laughs> yeah, we've jumped, so, jumped yeah. the truck a few times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we haven't. We were trying to keep up in the Subaru. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a prop. That's a, you, don't, you don't properly break in a Raptor without jumping it. Fair enough. At least Fair three enough. or four times a year. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Can't be one of those people. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway. Cap- Captain Beauty Ring, do you want to introduce this week's guest? <laughs> Captain Beauty Ring. Yep, that's huh. sticking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll go with it. This week's guest is a, well, very, very busy photographer who is, let's see, 2019 Motorsports Photographer of the Year. He's in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo Series for, what, 10 years running now, I think? All over the track, all over the world. Jamie Price, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. So, are we, and I have to say this because we create stories with all of our guests, like, Jamie signed on to this and goes, I think we said three words. He goes, should I go get a beer? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what do you so, mean you don't have a yeah, beer? So was, keep up. Keep up. <laughs> Jamie, it's really a pleasure to have you on here. I'm, I know for a fact that the stories are going around that Carl has been stalking you around racetracks around the United States, and we feel sorry for that. Um, we will sign the, the restraining order for you if you'd like. So, yeah. You know, actually, I'm a big, I'm a big Carl fan myself, so really what it was is we have a mutual affinity for uh for crypto and nfts so uh, mm. ah i yeah. see okay all right yeah. well that's the boy i really expected it to be a stocking situation but okay nope. we'll go with that yeah <laughs> jamie i 
watched a bunch of the stuff or listened to a bunch of podcasts and I've, I've seen your photography. It's amazing. And, and I know a lot of them talked about like your history of coming from, and I'm, and I'm just going to put this out here because I want people to go out and find it, that you come from a, a history of lawnmowers and, and horses, as we call it, you know, farm <laughs> equipment. But um, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Boy, is how- that underselling it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we'll touch on that for the yeah, audience no, no, in a no, second. No, I, maybe we, we just will, don't want to go down won't. the same rabbit yeah. hole of every other podcast <laughs> and article we've read about you, yeah. even though it's very cool. And there, yeah. I do have a few questions around there. Fire, <laughs> fire away. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I want to talk about how you kind of got into photography, how how that kind of happened, how that passion came in, because it's gone a little ways. I mean, there's a few people around the world that seem to know who you are. So, and I mean, and your photos look about just as good as I can take on my iPhone. So, I just want to know how you're doing it. So, uh, honestly, it was a it was a complete accident, Sorry. and I really, uh, I I don't have a great like story as to as to why it happened i just was given a camera for my 21st birthday um from my parents and they're like you'll enjoy this go have fun and, go out there and do something yeah go do, go do something and and i was i was in college at the time i was a sophomore and i really didn't know what i wanted to do with my life um i was a history major so i really didn't know what i wanted to do with my life and I just started taking that camera to a bunch of the swim meets that I was a sw- I was a full time full time collegiate swimmer and then I was also riding uh, racehorses at the time as well. So I would take the camera to a bunch of events that I was at, just involved with just because I was already there. And it just kind of just morphed into, an, you know, something that I never dreamed that it would become. It wasn't, you know, until many years after I got that first camera that I kind of said, maybe this is a potential that I could do something with this or make make more than just a couple bucks here and there um yeah i've been very very fortunate yeah i was reading somewhere you touched on it a little bit there that you were a professional jockey for a while not professional so um so it would be like the equivalent of a gentleman driver in car racing so it's very it the similarities between horse racing and car racing are nearly endless um you know the old like ad you know the the proverb how do you make a million dollars in car racing you start with 10 kind of thing yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's the exact same in horse racing um they are genuinely and truly very similar sports um but horses have always been something that i've been involved with uh i was what we call an amateur rider so you know not getting paid like uh, like not getting paid for my riding, but I was getting paid under the table. Someone would hand me a couple hundred bucks cash. Um, yeah. But you're putting your life on the line. I mean, it's very, very dangerous stuff. And it's really a, a great community of, of horsemen and women that, that ride all over the East Coast in these um, events, which are, you know, registered jockey club, um, not, like thoroughbred racehorses that you would see in the Kentucky Derby. Um, except the distances that they run are a little bit longer. And instead of it just being on dirt, we run on turf. And instead of it just being flat for a quarter, you know, a mile and a quarter, we run over uh, anywhere between like eight to 12, three and a half to four foot fences along the way as well. So it's called steeplechase horse racing. It's one of the steeplechase, oldest. Steeplechase, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the oldest sports in, the oldest uh I guess Question organized, sports. I, I organize organized sports, like just in general, just straight up sports in the United States. Somebody um, paid him a couple of hundred bucks to get on something and jump over some fences. He's a getaway driver. That's what this is I mean, <laughs> yeah. on a horse. <laughs> on yeah. A horse. Okay. Fair enough. Well, those existed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're five eleven, though. I read. Yeah, I'm. I'm not short. It, and with with horse racing, it's not about the weight. It's about it's it's not about the it's not about your height it's about the weight so if you can make the weight then it doesn't matter if you're six foot two if you can starve yourself into you know being a hundred and you know twenty pounds soaking wet i'm out naked (laughs) then you're gotta be naked oh i could ride that okay we're good (laughs) but i mean you're essentially you're riding like with so little like the the fabric it's silk fabric it's so light yeah, I've yeah. never felt so exposed in all of my life because <laughs> okay. you're riding with truly like silk pants and a silk, a silk jockey like 
silks is what they call them and a mm-hmm. black vest so it's a it's a vest that you wear underneath of your silks so that the horse's hoof which is aluminum plated doesn't penetrate through your chest cavity if you got stepped on fun yeah it's great <laughs> <laughs> safety dan sounds it's all exciting, about safety say the least no beauty yeah. rings in uh, horse racing that's so. right i mean so I want to talk about the transition from, from, from horses to horsepower, and I think that many people have written that about you. I mean, were you always a car person? Did you always love cars? Yeah, I was always a car person, but I'm not a car person in the sense that I'm going to go out in the garage right now and change my oil because it needs to be changed. Um, and if we get a flat tire, like I'm calling AAA, I'm, I'm that guy that I have no mechanical engineering you know, mentality. I'm just not, I'm not built that way. I'm not wired that way. But as far as looks and how they sound and just the racing aspect of it, I've always been a been a car nut. I grew up watching Formula One. My dad didn't care about it. I just thought it was the coolest thing on earth. I just happened to stumble upon it on the old satellite TV, and I thought it was amazing. I just thought it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen. And as a you know, 11, 12-year-old, cars going fast and loud around places like Monaco and you know Italy and Japan with pretty women and cool looking guys, you know, it's, that's kind of the dream. It's, it's like the best thing you could ever imagine to, to watch. And I just fell deeply in love with it from that point on. I don't know. I mean, Dan, I, you and I have both been on the website. There are some, definitely some shots on there that include both those things of beautiful cars and beautiful women. And it's all about the placement. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes you don't even know there's a car in that photo. So it's, it's kind of wonderful. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a, a long list of, uh, your network list, I should say, is extensive. You have done almost everything in racing. And what, uh, how many photos do you take for a typical race? Like, I'm totally curious because you have, you're, you have so many photos <laughs> everywhere I look. Yeah. I can, like, if you Google your name, the pages upon pages upon pages of photos that are returned is impressive to say the least. Yeah, it's, it really depends on the event that I'm going to. So a lot of the events... Uh, that I'm covering are endurance sports car races. So we're racing for six, eight, 10, 12, or 24 hours. So in that amount of time, you imagine, you know, you're, you're covering a fair amount of ground just with your feet, but also there's just a lot happening. Like you're in the pits, you're in the paddock area. Um, it's not just like show up for one day and then leave. I mean, you have multiple days of practice leading up to an event as well. So, and it also depends on, the track, how like some tracks are just not fun places to work. And then other tracks just exude images and you don't even have to try and you just take a pretty picture. Um, it, it, it can, there's so many variables. It can be anything between, you know, three to 4,000 pictures a day upwards to like, a, a, you know, a 24 hour race where we get a sunset and a sunrise and I have almost too many clients, you know, I'm pushing toward, 25 to 27,000 pictures during that day. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, it's not, it's not the way, it's not like the old film days where you got, you know, six rolls of, <laughs> of, of 36 yeah. and that's, that's your, I got a hundred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's you can defi- see them eventually. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a numbers game now. Um, and huh. you know, a lot of the old film photographers just don't, they can't relate to what photography is is now because you know we're not we're not taking a picture and then we're going to get it back in three weeks or or going to go into the dark room and um look at it there or develop it there you know my clients need their pictures within minutes after they win the rolex 24 hour or the sebring 12 hour um with formula one stuff we're delivering pictures more or less live from the spot we're standing to an editor in England who will then take that picture and then upload it to uh, to our client websites that I work for, with for the agency that I'm working for. So it's kind of like the Olympics, you know, when Usain Bolt, as soon as he starts running the 100 meter dash, like they have that picture from the start of the 100 meter dash before he even gets to the end of the 100 meter dash. And it's, photography's just changed a lot. And that's kind of just part of the problem it's a it's been a blessing and a curse with photography in that now you know the money's still good in the in many aspects but the demands for pictures is much heavier than it than it ever has been just because you have to get them quickly 
I mean, I always assumed we were living in more of an instantaneous world, but I've never heard something like that where you're sending a photo instantaneously to somebody. Are they then editing it and then posting it? Or is this something where you have to have that shot that is perfect so it can go right up kind of thing? You need it to be as perfect as possible within, you know, the limitations of that, that definition of perfect because nothing is perfect. So when you take a picture, my job as a photographer isn't to rely on editing after the fact, it's to make it look as it was seen there as I took it. Um, so if I'm, if, for example, if I'm doing a silhouetted, you know, sunset shot, I can't rely on editing after the fact to make it into a sunset silhouette shot um and add some like rainbows and unicorns jumping around in the background like it has to be what it was there and then because it's going to go to somebody who's also getting pictures from four or five other people at the same time so if he's looking at a picture and if it's not sharp it's not well composed if it's not properly exposed um basically just the basics of making a a picture which is the same as it always has been. That's where photography hasn't really changed. It still has to be a good picture out of the box. You can't make it into something it's not. Uh, but with the, the constraints that Formula One puts on us or the, the demands of really, like the clients that need pictures quickly, you can't, you can't cook a picture too much um, after the fact because you just don't have time to. They don't have time to. Um, you know, we've known Carl for a long time. He's been a big part of us. Actually, the photos he's taken of us, and he's always talked about finding your background and waiting for the foreground to happen. When a client comes to you, do they say, okay, especially in F1 or something, we want we want a photo of the car in this turn or something like that for our advertising? Or are they searching for a certain photo, or are they just searching for what you want to give them kind of thing? It depends on the client, to be honest. Some clients are, they do have those requests, and they do have those desires to to kind of dictate what they're going to get. But then other clients, I'm very lucky. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years and, and <clears throat> like a, a client like Lamborghini, they're not necessarily telling me, hey, we need a picture of our car at this corner. They know that I'm going to come back with the best that I can give them from that race. And they don't need, they don't need to tell me how to do my job. There's, there's more than enough people, um, you know, that would be willing to tell me how to do my job, but they know, they know that they've hired me as the person that they want to hire. And, you know, a lot of my best clients are the ones that are like, Hey, great to see you. Go have fun. Okay. Nice. All right. I want to geek out for a bit okay. because talking about how, how you're making all this happen. That's a lot of equipment. That's a lot of technical know-how as well. I would love to hear like, what is your setup like when you're shooting live at a race like that? Yeah, so I use two uh, full-frame sports camera bodies. So I don't really talk about brands, but Nikon, Canon, and Sony, all pretty much the same. Like, they make more or less the same stuff, and it works more or less the same way. The, the live aspect comes from a little piece of equipment that is now built into the cameras, but it, it connects to, like, a cellular network or a Wi-Fi network, and it can then um, ping an image from that, that network to an FTP server in England or wherever our editor is based. And he then like gets it straight on his computer straight from my camera. The downside to this is, is it is completely reliant on the cell network of a race or, you know, wherever you are. So places like, you know, any, any F1 race, it doesn't matter what it is, any F1 race, when you pack 300,000 people into one place. You can't That's even, what I was wondering. You can't even send an SMS text, much less like a yeah. five megabyte file, you know, and not just one five megabyte file or 10 megabyte file, it's like hundreds of them. And that's not, that's just our team. There's, you know, 20 other teams doing more or less the same thing. So you can imagine that the data network is more or less like choking under the pressure of the F1 photographers. Um, but yeah, it's pretty amazing technology and a lot of the, the way that, you know, if, if we could have a wired LAN system, which is what they do at the Olympics or um, hockey arenas or basketball in some cases, they have a wired connection for Ethernet that connects into your camera because there is actually an Ethernet cable uh, port on your a lot of these pro cameras. So for that huh. reason, so that they can send images directly and very quickly. 
Yeah, I was really curious exactly for exactly what you pointed out because when anytime you're at a concert or something, you get enough people packed in there, all of a sudden the cell network goes to a crawl. I can't imagine trying to send photos, especially at that level. Yeah, it's I really mean, frustrating. I, I was at Austin last year and you couldn't. I mean, you couldn't even get a phone call. You were sitting no. there. I mean, so yeah, yeah. WhatsApp wasn't working. Nothing yeah. was working. Yeah, I kept trying to message Carl. Where are you? Get me where you, he kept ignoring it, or he wasn't getting the you know yeah, whatever. So, yeah. Did you get your hot dog yet? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, your name and numbers up on the board. I think they want to see you. Yeah. yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about becoming a photographer in F one. Is that does that basically more about the clients you're working with, or does F one come to you and say we want you to be a part of that team? Uh, F1 has nothing to do with it, so it's more or less run as a separate entity. Um, they're just the sport that gives the access to a certain number of photographers or agencies. Um, my background in Formula One was that I went, I flew myself to, well, to go back even farther, I had a, a photo essay published from, uh, I think it was a a horse race that I went to, but this particular horse race is very well known for having bow ties. Like it's not the Kentucky Derby, but it's a steeplechase version version of the Kentucky Derby. And all these these guys in it's in like the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, and all these guys show up and they have these really cool bow ties, like all different colors and patterns and things. And I thought it'd be a cool photo essay to do like a you know take take pictures, portraits of these bow ties that guys were wearing um, and just find as many of them as I could. And I don't even know how they found it, but Southern Living, which is a pretty big magazine in the South, uh, found my photo essay or my collage of pictures that I put up and they put it on the cover or like one of the, I don't know if it was a cover, but it was like opening pages of Southern Living and paid a pretty decent rate for it. And this was like very early in my career and I was and they threw me a couple thousand bucks and I was like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so I booked myself a flight and a hotel to Barcelona for Formula One winter testing in 2012. And I found a website to get me a credential. Um, just, you know, I kind of had a relationship with the website where I'd done some fan blogs about going to races and stuff and how to take better pictures as a as an amateur fan photographer at, at the races and so they got me a, a credential for for that winter test and from that winter test I've now met a lot of the people that I now work with and work for and still know very very well to this day but it was a it was like a an eye-opening but also gate opening experience that I was able to produce from you know, a horse racing collage of not even horses. It was just bow ties. That's awesome. You talk about these photo teams. Are you individual journalists or individual photographers and journalists on this team? Or is this your team that you've created with your editor and things like that? No, with the Formula One stuff, uh, I work as just part of a, a group of, I think there's four or five of us, depending on the weekend. Um, I'm the junior guy, so I'm the youngest of the crew. They're all much more experienced than I am. They've been covering Formula One going back to the mid, early mid '90s in some cases. Um, so they've been really, they've been very experienced. They're all extremely talented, and I don't even, I don't cover for Formula One full time. It's just like a four or five race a year type uh, part time gig in addition to the other motorsport events that I cover. The other motorsport events that I cover, I work for myself, so I don't work as part of an agency. I have my own clients. I find my own clients. I charge my own clients my own rate. With the agency stuff for Formula One, I have, I have no control over uh, how many clients we get, how many um, pictures we're going to send to them. I'm just a small cog on the wheel of that team, and they kind of bring me to the events where they've got more need for an extra photographer. You know, and a lot of obviously the local events for North America make more sense for me instead of shipping me to Singapore, or Japan, Miami, Austin, Canada, Vegas next year. That kind of stuff makes more sense for them. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship or how it came about with Lamborghini? Because I mean, I think that's 
One of my favorite photos I was talking to Dan about on your website is it's yeah. coming that that super trofeo coming up and all four wheels are off the ground. It's just such a cool photo. Killer photo. Yeah. Killer yeah. Photo. yeah. Lamborghini. So it's another one that's just kind of a crazy story that goes back a, into like I don't even really understand how it fully happened myself, but uh, the short version is is that I went to a wedding and I was I was dating a girl at the time. Um, we're no longer, I'm, I'm married to somebody else now, but we were dating <laughs> and my my friend was getting married and to be perfectly honest, he wasn't a gigantic fan of her. Like he didn't really like her that much. So he well, did. he was right. So it worked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, so For, he. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Um, he didn't like and, her. I married her. She's here. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't like her. So he didn't, he didn't choose to give me a plus one to his wedding and um you really which, didn't like her which, as it turns out when i got married i did that to a couple people as well and it and it also worked out just fine um <laughs> so he didn't give me a plus one but he said listen i'm gonna do you a solid and i'm gonna put you next to my friend who's the marketing manager for ducati motorcycles north america and i was like cool at least if nothing else we can talk valentino rossi and you know, yeah. GP and bikes yeah. and car racing and whatever. So we kind of sit down at this wedding together and we're going around the table introducing everybody at, at the after the reception and dinner's starting and I turn to my right and this guy's sitting there and he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, how are you? Yeah, nice. And he's like, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a photographer. He's like, oh, you're the guy I'm supposed to talk to all night. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> But so, spoiler alert, it ended up going really well. We talked for, you know, the entire evening. Um, and he asked me at that wedding, he was like, do you have any interest in coming to cover the the Pikes Peak Hill Climb with me in, you know, it was supposed to be June. Um, he was like, do you have any interest in coming to cover Pikes Peak for us in June? And I was like, let me think about this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll have uh, to check my schedule me, here. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll make it work. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he invited me to cover that. It got delayed because there was, as it often happens in California and Colorado, is there's massive forest fires. So they had a huge forest fire that, that basically just stopped anything moving in and out of Pikes Peak um, Mountain area, the national park. So they pushed it to August. So I shot the event in August of 2012, and from that event, the CEO of, of Ducati North America was his boss, and he got to know me a little bit throughout the, the process. He ended up leaving for Lamborghini within six months after that, and it kind of came down the pipeline where they were submitting or requesting bids for the series photographer for Super Trofeo. And so I put in a bid, not thinking anything necessarily would come of it. There's, I mean, this Lamborghini, everybody wants, everybody wants to work for Lamborghini and this is a really yeah. big opportunity. So I put my name in, in the pot and I got a call a couple weeks later um, from the guy and, and he was like, I, rem I remember your pictures. I love your work. Would love to have you on, you know, and on basically covering Super Trofeo. And that was August, 2013. I hope you. Yeah, I hope you got years. that guy a great wedding present because I mean that's a hell of a. You sit there and you go, "What's well, not?" It's kind of a good story. Like that's a great story. Yeah. Like, and he set both of you up. Like, yeah. And that poor guy was going to that wedding thinking, "God, I'm gonna have to talk to another photographer." I know. <laughs> I know. We 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 all got. I mean, I, I am very thankful for the the connections and people that I've met along the way. And really, that's what I tell people all the time: is it has nothing to do with your pictures. Like, yes, you have to be okay at it but you still you still have to be able to talk to people it's about who you know who you meet along the way you know it's the friends you make it's it's like a it's a family and it's a really small community too it's not you you can meet one person and i mean that's kind of basically the gist of my career in those two stories is from those two events i've created the career that i have now from those two events and obviously it's like it's kind of the tree mentality where you have the you know, the roots of the tree or the, the trunk of the tree being those two events. And from that, you have all the branches that have now been created that Super Trofeo has given me along the way where I've met so many interesting people and brought, I've, I've created so many clients, but not just clients, like friends, people that I'm going to be friends with for the rest of my life. 
uh, and then from those two two more or less meetings and chance happenings, I've you know been very lucky. That's awesome. I want to talk to you a little bit about you know of the world we're living in and and, and photography and social media and kind of your views on where we're going to be going with that because I think. So many people, you know, yeah, NFTs, w- NFTs, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, and peckerheads that think they can do what you do with an iPhone. Uh, so <laughs> things like that. I know, I know that, you know, it, it's an art to it. Like I said, Carl has tried to train both of us to take photos and I don't think even <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I just don't have that I'm eye. as good as auto. And yeah. Click, so yeah, exactly. which I fully admit. come on iPhone. So, <laughs> yeah. but I, I want to kind of tell you, like I said, obviously technology has changed immensely. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, we grew up in the eighties when you had to, you know, you had to take your stuff to Costco and you had to wait three weeks and maybe you got your photos back and you realized that half the photos were taken from inside your pocket. So yeah, <laughs> that's like that, that still happens. If you'd like oh. to see, if you'd like to see <laughs> like my, uh, one of my most recent shoots, I have, I have hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of pictures of my feet. Like I'm, I'm walking along and my camera is just firing like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you get back Fair. and it's just like, sweet mother. <laughs> Your editor's like, hey, could we take a, a picture of something else, please? Well, the, the, <laughs> the real joke is I'm the editor at the, at the, oh. at the single events. <laughs> okay. So the joke's on me. At the F1 events, I can choose which pictures I'm sending to him. Oh, okay. But yeah, make carry, a great- but carry on. Yeah. You make a great uh, like photo album cover as a joke before you send it off. Absolutely, it's like, Here's a picture yeah. of my shoes. <laughs> I can show you bow ties. I can show you Nike. I can show yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. No, but I mean, where do you kind of see this going? I mean, obviously, there's always going to be a need for those photos because us normal people don't have access or the talent to do what you yeah, do. Yeah, photos make the events. Yeah, yeah, that's something I always try and remind people because it's very easy to not see the bigger picture. If you look around your world or you look around, you know, you get on Instagram or you get on a website or whatever it is, you just look around your world. It's so heavily based in photography. Like words are great. A New York Times article about the atrocities in Ukraine or, you know, Elon Musk is an idiot kind of thing. Like those things have meaning and matter as words, but it needs something to go with it. It needs that like visual side to go with it. And especially in car racing, you know, a lot of the teams, you know, even more so in sports car racing where you have, let's there's 60 cars entered for the Rolex 24. That's, that's a lot of cars and not all of them are going to make it on the the race broadcast like they have they're all covered in sponsors everybody has a need for pictures in some way shape or form everybody has a need for pictures um it's it is definitely shifting in some ways toward video being the bigger need but at the end of the day lamborghini when they win the race they still need a picture of the guys on the podium or the car crossing the finish line or a pretty picture from sunrise or sunset there's still a very important aspect of photography and the visual, the visual need to, to just be able to, to tell stories with, with a picture. Well, I mean, I think some of the most powerful pictures in the world don't need words. You know, yep. you get people, somebody yep. kneeling and down in front of a tank is a lot better than you know writing that down. You know, you can uh, see yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't have the same weight if you say there was a guy and there's a line of tanks and he knelt down in front of it. It doesn't have the same yeah. power to it. So it, it's not it's not to say like we have the most important job in the world as a photographer telling stories about car racing, but in in a very niche way, we're telling, you know, important stories about the history of motorsport. And we'll look back on these pictures that all of us individually create. And now there's more of us than there ever have been, but there's still all of us telling a story in a different way to each other and those those stories do matter and everybody has their own clients and everybody has their own stories that they're trying to tell. And I love it. I love it for that aspect of, of just telling stories. I think it's interesting. Cause like I said, I was going through the website and some of the ones that, you know, the stories that I love, I mean, again, and I, I preface this with F1, Lewis Hamilton is not my favorite person in the world. <laughs> Just because he's good. It's the LeBron James yeah. situation. <laughs> I'll say it. I'm, I hate him because he's good. Okay. But the stories of some of the photos you've taken of him, of, of like close up and things like that. And, and it makes me go, okay, I want to know where that was at. I want to know. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch him win in a car and it's fun to see the car go around. But I think some of the, the photos of, of drivers in general outside of their cars and somebody that may have lost, may have won, 
may just be doing a practice lap. I think it, it's a, it paints a, a different picture. Yeah. So. And, the, and I, I was a wedding photographer for a very short minute and I didn't enjoy. Oh, we all have been a wedding <laughs> photographer. Come on. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, yeah, every, everybody has done it at some point. Um, yeah. But it's, I really wasn't passionate about it because while, while it's important to tell a story for a couple and, and it is important for them for their day, I don't care about them. <laughs> I, and, no, and really nobody else beyond the mother and father of the groom and mother and father of the bride really care about them either. But if you take a picture of, you know, Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen or even, you know, whoever gentleman driver, like one of my clients is, um, is Ryan Hardwick, who is, you know, a, a first form athlete and driver of the Wright Motorsport Porsche. They won, they won the Daytona 24 last year. And I think if you probably asked him at the end of, you know, his life in 50 years, what were some of the defining moments of your life? I'm guessing winning the Daytona 24 would probably be up there. And it's not just important to him, but it's important to the team. It's important to the mechanics. It's important to the fans of the car. It's important to the team owner of the car. It's just, it's such a different mentality to, to being a, a wedding photographer. And there's nothing to take away from wedding photographers. It just isn't my passion. It's not my passion to to tell stories that are important to one person. I want to tell the stories that are important to the motorsport world. I want to tell those stories and be there on the front lines for my clients that it's the most important day of their lives. I mean, he may even put that win over like his wedding kind of importance. I'll have to ask him that, whether he agrees. Yeah, that. you probably, probably should have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's not going to tell his wife that answer, but yeah, you're correct. Yeah. So of all the billions of photos you've taken what's your defi- what's one of your defining moments what's something where you went i can't believe i took that photo and was able to be there um there's been a couple you know you're, you're gonna hate it but there's been a couple lewis hamilton <laughs> I, I knew it. No, no, okay yeah no i think yeah. I, I think i've been there for four of his championships when he went so at the race that wow. he won his championship i think i've been there for four of them and it's it's pretty special like you're in the scrum of of 50 other photographers and you know you're getting hit in the head by broadcast tv cameras and everybody's like elbowing each other and trying to get a you know a shot of lewis on his mechanics arm like shoulders and they're spraying champagne um stuff like that is it definitely sticks out in your mind there's just there's other moments that no one will i won't even like be able to necessarily pull it out as a picture but there's just things along the way that you kind of you kind of say like this is this is important and I'm thankful I was here. That's, That's really absolutely amazing. I mean, and I know I'm going to get a hate for that. Like I said, I, I dislike Lewis because he's good, just so we're clear. Everybody <laughs> hates the winners you know, eventually. Much. I mean, yeah. that's why. I don't hate Max yet. I mean, no, but I mean, Schumacher, too, but yeah. had, Schumacher no. had the same problem yeah. as it's, people were sick of him winning. It's so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a great problem to have for them. It's a great problem. Yeah. yeah. It's not a lack of respect. It's just a, just want somebody else. Oh, no, it's a lack of respect on my part. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Total lack of respect. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of the future, um, what's your take on NFTs and things like that, as, especially as a photographer who's. Um, I, I love it's art. I mean, to me, it's, Mm -hmm. it's art. There's, it's simple as that. I, I absolutely despise modern art museums. I go there, I've been to enough of them and I walk in the door and I see, a you know, an eight by 12 foot, like white canvas painting with a red dot on it. And then somebody it's for sale or has been sold for $20 million. It's like that to me, my son who not to take away from his talent as a photographer or as a, as an artist, but he's four and yeah. you know, <laughs> that's Scuderia red. How dare you? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and I just don't, I just, it, when you start placing boxes around what is art and what isn't art, you're take it. You've, you've already killed the art. Like you've already killed art for other people. You can't tell me that a white canvas with a red dot on it that sold for $20 million is art. And you know, a monkey that somebody created isn't art because it is art. Like it's graphic yeah. design. It's, it's, it is the definition of art. Someone created it. So, and, and, and as far as like the actual selling platform, could it be more above the board? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but also if it has value to somebody, like, uh, I mean, uh, again, uh, an artist taped a banana to a wall 
and it's art and it's sold like and a banana is a perishable item so don't don't tell me what is and doesn't have value if like if we all decide that we're going to just pay for our groceries with seashells then we will pay for our groceries with seashells it's about the collective and who decides what has value and who doesn't so maybe i think i think nfts and and crypto and all that other stuff is really early in its life cycle it's not going anywhere but i think it's going to be one of those things that everything is becoming more digital i don't remember the last time i bought a hard case or a hard copy of a of a movie or a video game or something like that everything is digital now and to think that everything in the art world is going to be a physical like hang it on your wall thing that you have is naive and stupid because i don't create physical things like i make i, I maybe sell i don't know on the high end maybe 50 prints a year out of the hundreds of thousands maybe millions of pictures that i take and deliver to my clients maybe maybe 50 pictures get put in like a physical form as art and the rest yeah. of them are digital and they exist on the internet and nowhere else so is that art is it not it is but there's some theories it, on that it's a yeah. hard question when you're like honey could you go replace the banana in our art, uh, our art project <laughs> uh, the duct tape starting to stick it and uh, not stick anymore too so yeah well i think um as we've seen technology start to catch up to the point where displays are actually worth looking at if you thought of digital art even 10 years ago about 10 years ago i would say 1080p would be on the high end 1920 by 1080 which at the time looked amazing the first time you saw a blu-ray and you went from a dvd you were like holy crap this is as great as it gets i'm a laser disc kind of guy i'm like something right with quality and, then, and now it's 4k <laughs> and, eight, and now that well now it's 4k is the standard sure and now it's 8k is available I mean, that's just going to keep going. And as we go up and up and up, the quality of the art you see on the wall, especially with OLED, where black is actually black now, it's just an absence of light versus a projected image of black. <laughs> like You're going to see more and more digital art become a thing of value because it's actually really great to look at. Yeah. I mean, there was a cool exhibit that we went to at the... Uh uh what is it the the gaudi museum in barcelona um mm, i was yeah. there in august and so we had a private tour it was this was like a, a ferrari event that i went to and we had a private tour of of the gaudi famous gaudi building i don't even remember the name of it but they had like a digital artwork inside of it and it was very cool like it it's art it, it you can't say it's not art because if you say that's not art there's a lot of things that aren't art that are art well it's, it's opening up some things like the simplistic thing and, I, and my mother doesn't listen to this so she won't know but like i got her one of those digital picture frames for christmas like the, the pictures change i well i know but the but the days the days of like here's one photo and i need to put it in a frame and put it in your office and then you're going to stare at that for the all i mean it's so simple like you said everything's so digital well yeah my my parents computer their desktop background I have a shared folder and I just drop photos into it. Yeah. And so as it refreshes in the background, cool. they don't have to do anything because I'm, you're doing, I it. have the shared folder. They have no, they have, control you control they what they see. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Cause they don't know, they don't know how to change it, but they're glad yeah. I do. So that my family just sends well, photos. It, I just drop them in. It's there. interesting yeah. because there's just because I'm, I, I'm saying this, I, I do have to like tell myself some of the things that I'm saying right now, because there a couple of years ago in the Macau Grand Prix, BMW's factory team ran you know, forgive me, BMW, but they ran the most horrific, god-awful livery on a car that I've ever seen. And when I say they ran a livery on a car, they didn't. It was a digital livery, and the car was carbon black. So to my eyes, staring at it as it came at me on the track, it was unpainted carbon black, had nothing on it. No, not even black paint. It was just carbon black. But if you pulled up your app on the BMW app, some graphic designer or like artist had digitally drawn, you know, waves or something coming off the back with like sparkles and things coming off the back of this car that you could only see if you pulled up your phone, pulled up the app and pointed it at that car going by you. It's augmented reality. It's a, yeah, it's an augmented reality. And somebody, some artist got paid more than I will this entire year to make that piece of shit. And <laughs> I, I couldn't even see it with my own eyes. I'm staring at this car and I couldn't even see it. So 
it's stuff like that where the sponsors could not have been happy about that. Like, yeah, if, you know, if you're in the stands and you don't have the app, like you're not going to see any yeah. of the advertisement. Wow, it was horrible. And you got a dumb. bunch of photographers out there holding their phones in front of their lenses, trying to get the. <laughs> it was really bad. <laughs> That's terrible. Jeez. Huh. Interesting. I uh, I don't remember seeing that, but I um, Google it. I guess there it, wasn't just, anything to see. Just just Google <laughs> Macau Grand Prix BMW art car and it'll pull up. Okay. Which is Snapchat sad because BMW art cars have always been such really an cool, iconic yeah. piece of motorsport. Well, so. so that they're kind of like over two in my career because they did that one at the Macau Grand Prix, but then they also did one at the Rolex Twenty Four a couple years ago, which was more akin to the like eight by twelve. Um, white canvas with a red dot on it and they kind of did that on a car so it was like a, a yellow dot on the roof a red dot on one side a green dot on another one and then on one side it had like it had a a, a vector you know pic- basically a picture of the unpainted car like a white bmw chassis of the race car on one side on the other side of the door it said fast and that's all that it said fast oh, wonder bread was probably happy yeah it looked like the, it was like the wonder bread it looked like a wonder bread car and that again it was like a modern art I'm on fire it was like it was like a modern art take on on bmw and i'm more of like the warhol type like throw yeah. a bunch of graffiti colors at it and make it look cool this was like here's a red dot here's a green dot here's a yellow dot it's art now where do the unicorns come in? I, he talked about unicorns earlier. I want the unicorns. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it would get photos so taken. Absolutely. There was a there was a Lam- so like to continue on the art cars. It's not an art car, but there's a Lamborghini this year that ran in Super Trofeo. Who the driver is a gentleman driver, and he um, doesn't have any sponsors on the car, but he asked his like six or seven year old daughter to design his car for him, and she was like, "Daddy, I want a unicorn on the car." So they put a unicorn, bright pink. They made the car bright pink unicorn and like sparkles going off the the and they call i think i saw that sparkle farts yes yeah (laughs) hard to miss it (laughs) but but super cool and that so flying lizard motorsport is the team that runs that car i i can't verify this but the the what i was told was that that merchandise line of the sparkle farts t-shirts is the highest grossing merchandise in the history of flying lizard and they've done ALMS programs, they've done Lamar programs, they've done every they've won championships and sparkle farts t-shirts <laughs> with a and I have one and they're amazing. <laughs> I was I was I was definitely will be googling that it's, when we're done with this and ordering something. It's a Lamborghini it's a it's the Lamborghini yeah. with a unicorn and it's yeah. and it yeah, it's amazing. It's incredible. Okay. I was going to ask you what your favorite cars are to shoot. Like, do you have a favorite like livery or a team or I mean, just I, I love colors. Like, just just yeah. You know, some of the some of the cooler art cars that have been done over the years are more my speed. Um, you know, I don't really like the super corporate. Like, I wasn't a big yeah. fan of the Chip Ganassi type cars where it's just not. It doesn't really have any. Like the past couple of years in IMSA WeatherTech, it just really hasn't done anything for me. Um, but I. I do love some of the older, like Rothmans and the, yeah. the, you know, the Gulf liveries, but they can, they've kind of been a little bit overdone now, but I love like Sparkle Farts as an example was super colorful, super fun. It was fun to shoot. Um, you know, it's occasionally every year, it used to be done more, but with, with IMSA WeatherTech during July 4th week, we'd usually have the six hours of Watkins Glen and a bunch of the teams would kind of do a, you know, a really cool, you know, celebration of America on the side of their car or just put a big flag on the top of it or something. And I think the Acuras a couple of years ago had like a really cool mural of American moments. Like they had the Statue of Liberty on the side of one and they had the uh, Mount Rushmore maybe. And just like, if you could like, take all the things that are American and just throw it on the side of a car and kind of a cool graphic design. That's kind of what it was. And it looked really good. It looked really cool. That's I like amazing. Stuff like that. Well, I mean, you want something that's going to grab your attention. It's hard to not know what sparkle farts is. I mean, it's just, you know, it's for, yeah. you know, it, uh, like you said, a pink car coming at you is going to photograph well. It's it, going to grab looks, your attention. It and looks great. Sponsors. It looked, oh, no, yeah. It I, looked yeah. great through my lens. Yeah. Like, truly, there's, I, you know, I love the more color the better for me like i don't sure. i don't like black race cars it's just not my 
not my thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, hear that, friends at Forza? Yeah. Yep. Just telling you. We need a Sparkle Farts hurricane. In I, there's got to be somebody. I, 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 I know that they've done it. I know that they've yeah. done it. Oh, yeah. 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 I just mean, like, we need to, like, put it in the game. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm, it mean, needs to be, like, an official licensed thing. There you go. That's, that, that's the kind of stuff we need to see. I'm sure somebody will want a piece of that, but yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know, I'm just saying, like, when, you, when Forza we'll, goes and looks at sponsors, we'll just walk Sparkle down the street here. We're not far from Forza. We'll see what Hey, Alan. Yeah. Alan can get on that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I it's amazing the journey you've taken. I just I yeah. really appreciate you taking you know time out of your schedule to, t- to talk to me or us. Uh, uh, you know, and it's the story we're getting between Carl and you, and the fact that you respect Carl and Carl respects you. I've just never heard that before. So. He drinks a lot. <laughs> he, drinks, <laughs> he drinks a lot. Yeah, that's the first thing Carl calls me. He goes, "We haven't drank together," and I was like, "I know my my, my liver's healing, so yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it's hard to keep up with Carl." So. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to. I haven't, I haven't gone drinking with Carl. I need to try this. Don't, don't, oh, don't. you're gonna have a good time. <laughs> Carl's a good time. Yeah, he's a wonderful man, but he drinks like a fish. All right, Carl. Well, we'll so, see. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking forward to most in 23 for the next year for racing and your events coming up? Um, his I'm, son's art career. He already talked about. Yeah, it. my son's art career. <laughs> He's uh, going to make millions. Yep. I can retire. I'm done with that. <laughs> Two yeah. red dots. Two red dots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. I, I have a lot coming up this year. I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be, it's going to be kind of the same, same, but different, which is how it kind of always goes. There's not a huge amount of variety and the schedule changes that IMSA WeatherTech does, but I'll be covering a little bit of Formula One. Um, I'm really excited for Daytona. We've got some new cars, the Daytona 24-hour. There's a bunch of new cars. I've got some great clients lined up. Um, it's always a great race. It's kind of like going back to school. You know, everybody has summer. It's winter break for us, but it's like the equivalent of summer break for school. So you go back and you see your friends and you, you know, not a lot of work gets done that first day because you're just talking to everybody. It's like, hey, what you been up to? Did you catch COVID over the winter? And <laughs> <laughs> the new normal. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Yeah. All the normal things. Um, yeah. And then I'm doing uh, hopefully a Lamborghini um, ice driving academy up in Canada. So in just northern, Very cool. like, I guess, Quebec somewhere north of Montreal. I've done the, a couple of those events, which is, it's really fun. They're really cool. And then Formula One testing in Bahrain. And then we go straight into Sebring 12 hour stuff and the year marches on. Your wife's a very understanding woman. You were a busy man. She is. We had a discussion about that today. <laughs> <laughs> we have a four year old. Guess when you're staying home. <laughs> yeah. And we have a one year old too. It's not just Oh, okay. oh wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So good looking and fertile. It's a f- <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> not not anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> TMI. Uh, exactly. Those people. <laughs> I don't even know. Do you ever make it out to the Pacific Northwest? Um, I we did a Lamborghini event a couple years ago. We did a drive from where was it? Seattle to Portland, but kind of like a really roundabout, like like long. It was a seven or eight hundred that trip that we did yeah. in, in 20 or 30 Lamborghini. quite a few years. I was going to say, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. We were, you know, we had, we had friends that were part of that. Actually. It was cool. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot of fun. But so. that's, that's been the one time. I'm a big fly fisherman, so I've been needing yeah. to come out and, and hit some steelhead up there, but haven't done it. Carl lives near a river. You can stay at his house. It's fine. He has it's extra true. bedrooms. All right. All right, Carl, I'm on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time he's heard a man say that. Uh, so, <laughs> well, uh, you know, we really appreciate you taking time to uh, talk to us. Uh, Carl, what the people don't know is Carl's in a chat and he can he can quote. He's he's really just talking in emojis. So I think he's yeah. uh, he's been drinking. So, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a beer one. There's a fish, a fish one. one. Yeah. So yeah. you're in. You're beer and fishing. Sweet. So. <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It. To yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, our <laughs> listeners, it's jamiepricephoto.com. That's J-A-M-E-Y-P-R-I-C-E photo.com. If you go there, make sure you have a good hour, hour and a yes. half. because you and, and drag and drool rags to be looking at the photos. So it's great. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. The man earns his pay. Yeah. So Excellent. Well, for this episode of the Avance Podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.